0: All right, good morning. How's everybody doing on this uh, Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah? All right, you guys here early, so you can, you know, get back and go to whatever party you're going to today. Uh, it's, you know, it's really is good to see a couple of Bears jerseys, though, in the room. It still kind of feels good, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but this week I happened to stumble upon ESPN's 30 for 30 on the 85 Bears. Did anybody else see that? Man, I almost cried like a baby. Were you with me on that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know the Bears are not in this today, but kind of brings the best out in all of us, doesn't it? Uh, Thank you for being here today. I want to ask you a question, though. Uh, Have you ever blown an opportunity? I heard some, yeah, yeah, I blew it, yeah, okay. You know, just missed out on something really special. How many would say you can think of something that comes to mind where, you you know, you you just blew that opportunity, you just completely missed out? All right, most of us probably can. Well, a while back, uh, Jimmy Fallon uh, found out that he blew an opportunity. Uh, Maybe you saw this, and uh, here is uh, how that played out. Take a look. I don't know if you remember this, but we, we met before.
1: Oh, I remember.
0: <laughs> do you remember this? It was really embarrassing for me. Yes. It was? Yeah, do you want me to I have
1: m- not seen you since then. I have not. Right? That is correct. No.
0: But this is no. uh, years ago
1: and I do you want me to tell my version of the yeah, story? Yeah, you tell your version. <laughs> I'm walking down the street I'm in New York City. Yeah. My friend Rick calls me and says, dude, what are you doing?
0: I go, I'm just walking down the street. He goes, uh, I have Nicole Kidman with me and she wants to meet you for uh, maybe to be in Bewitched or something like that, so I go, what, Uh, okay. She goes, I can be in your apartment in like 10 minutes. I go, you're gonna bring Nicole Kidman over to my apartment? I'm like, okay, I don't know, what what do I do? What do I have something, what do I do? He goes, I don't
1: know, just get some cheese and crackers or something. (laughs) I just remember I liked you and he was like, not now. Um, (laughs) I'm married now. Um, Wait, what? (laughs) So he says, Right. So Rick, our mutual friend, says, "Oh, yeah. you know Jimmy wants to meet you, and you can go over to his apartment, and da da da." da. And I'm single, and I'm like, "Okay, yeah." Cool. Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: Are you talking about? Yes. Did I date Nicole Kidman? Sure. Do we so go so I a go date?
1: I though, and you're there in a baseball cap, and like nothing, just like <laughs> I had and cheese, like, and you wouldn't talk. You didn't say anything, you were like, hey. Do
2: mm, mm, mm. Hey, hey, mm, you? Right? Mm, i was yeah, hey, very
0: nervous. Mm. I didn't and say, I'm like,
1: U-U-U. okay. I didn't know this was, so, a,
0: uh, this was a thing. I thought this was, was a like movie. It was like
1: a hang, it was meant to just, I don't know. And then you put a video game on or something, and <laughs> I'm like, this right, is, this is just... so bad. <laughs>
0: I mean, that just went from bad to worse, didn't it? Oh, my gosh, is that funny? Yes, Jimmy Fallon could have gone out with Nicole Kidman. (laughs) A blown opportunity. Uh, You know, it reminded me, I almost uh, blew my opportunity with the woman I married. Uh, You know, Lisa and I, we were dating for a couple of years, and then I moved to California. And uh, so before we moved, you know, before I moved, I should say, we agreed, you know, let's be okay with dating other people which, of course, what I really meant was I will likely go out with other people. Don't you dare go out with anybody else, right? And so I moved to California, dated a couple of girls. I was having a good time, and all was good, right? Sure, until I found out that she actually had the nerve to go out with some schmuck. That was not part of the deal, so I called her, begged her to come to Southern California. We eventually got back together and finally married. <laughs> Almost blew that one. You know, uh, we're in week two of our current series that is all about this two-year journey journey. We're calling one, and hopefully you received one of these uh, booklets last week or this morning when you came in. If you didn't, be sure and uh, pick one up. The ushers at the back will be happy to ensure that you get one on your way out today, and it's just a great way to kind of keep up with this journey and where we're heading over the course of the next several weeks. And um, last week, we talked about how over the years, you know, God has definitely taken ordinary people like you and me and done absolutely extraordinary things and what began here you know at community with just a handful of friends starting a new church has now grown to you know a church with over 12 locations with you know about 15,000 people that we call this their church home but if you're here you also know that this movement isn't limited to Chicago you know through new thing we are now you know partnered with 267 churches globally with about 750,000 people who are engaged in this mission of helping people find their way back to god it is truly extraordinary But I hope you'll also remember and know that this really is about helping one person at a time find their way back to God. Maybe you were here two weeks ago. My friend Chris was on stage with me. And that's what this mission really is about, helping people like Chris find his way back to God. And here's the exciting news. Okay, here is the exciting news today. I believe, once again, that God has us on the brink of doing something extraordinary through this initiative that we're calling One. And so just in case you missed last week, let's just take a quick look at this to kind of bring um, everyone up to speed, okay? The One Initiative is about being one church and accomplishing one mission. I believe God will use the One Initiative to both work in us, but then also through us to do something absolutely extraordinary. One is a two-year initiative, and we're projecting a budget over the next two years of around $18 million. but we want to raise an additional $8 million more So at the end of this two year initiative, we're asking God to give us the opportunity to steward $26 million for his mission. Now that's a big goal, but understand that's not our first and primary goal. Our first goal is that 100% of the people will make a clear declaration that God is number one in their lives. And the one initiative is this great opportunity for each of us to clearly declare, God, you are number one. All the believers were one in heart and mind. And so one is about something that God wants to do in us, but it's also about something that God wants to do through us. Let me say that again, okay? One is about something that God wants to do in us, but it's also about something that God wants to do through us. And we believe that when we come together, you see, as one church across all of our locations throughout Chicagoland, with one mission, we will accomplish this one vision together. And that's why our primary goal for this initiative really is for every single person at community to be a part of one, to to engage in one. And if we go back to our passage that we've been looking at over the past several weeks, I can't help but notice one small, but I would say very significant word. Any guesses what word I'm talking about? Yeah, all. Notice that word. It's in there twice. All. All. All the believers. Everyone was in on this. 100% participated. And you see, we don't want anyone to miss this opportunity. We don't want anybody to be left out. We want everyone to be in on this together. And so how do we do that? Well, I think it starts with every single one of us deciding to make God number one in our lives. And you know, I think most of us want God to be number one, but it can be so hard to live that out. Am I right? In fact, I want to tell you a story about one of the more sincere guys I think you'll ever come across, and how he actually missed out on his opportunity. At least he missed out as far as we know. And the story we're looking at is told by Mark, and Mark is one of Jesus' closer followers. He wrote the second book of the New Testament, okay? Matthew, who wrote the first book of the New Testament, tells this story and calls this guy young. Luke, who wrote the third book of the New Testament, calls this guy uh, ruler. And so his story is often told, and he's often referred to as the rich young ruler, and we read about his story and encounter with Mark chapter 17, and it starts off like this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, just think about this scene for a minute, okay? I mean, think about this for a minute. This guy runs up to Jesus, he falls to his knees out of respect and honor, and he calls Jesus good. Good. Okay, he runs up to Jesus, falls to his knees out of respect and honor, and he calls him good. I mean, this guy really does seem to be the picture of sincere. Wouldn't you agree? And his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think it really reveals a sort of heartfelt desire to follow God. I mean, he, he wants to make sure that he's on the right path. I mean, it certainly appears like he wants God to be number one in his life. And see, and that's why I think it's so important that we pay close attention to this story because I think so many of us can relate to him. I mean, we want God to be number one in our lives. We, you know, we've, all, we've made the decision to follow him. Many of us have gone public through baptism. You know, we, we, we attend church regularly, maybe even engage in, and are contributing to a ministry team. We're a part of a small group. And if, if Jesus were to walk into this building right now, I think the majority of us probably would fall to our knees out of respect and honor. Yet despite this man's sincerity, Jesus gives a curious reply to him, and he says, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying he's not good. I don't think he's saying that he's not God. But his response signals that there's just something not quite right with this picture. And he continues. Jesus says this. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, quick show of hands, who would say that um, those commands that Jesus mentioned sound somewhat familiar? Anybody? Yeah, I think most of us say those sound pretty familiar because Jesus begins his response by reciting some of the Ten Commandments, right? And the Ten Commandments were a list that was actually much more known even in Jesus' day than it is in our day. And so as Jesus kind of lists these particular cam- commands to this man, I can almost ma- imagine the rich young little kind of checking them off in his mind. You know, you shall not murder. Okay, check. Never done that. You shall not commit adultery. Okay, check. Never fallen for that one. You shall not steal. Well, tempted, but never actually did it. Okay, check. But here's something I never, ever noticed before about this story. Never noticed this before about this story. Notice which commands are missing. Notice the commands that Jesus chose not to mention to this man. It's the commands about making God number one in our lives that are conspicuously absent from this list. And so the rich young ruler answers Jesus confidently by saying, well, yeah, I've kept all of these since I was a young boy. And and you know what? Chances are he was sincere in his answer. But, but what about the ones that are missing? You know, what about the ones Jesus didn't mention? What about the ones that really focus on what it looks like and what it means to make God number one? What about the one that says, you shall not misuse the name of God, or you shall not make for yourself an idol, or you will have no other gods before me? What about those? Now understand, you know, that when the man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life, the standard Jewish response would have been a list of commands. I mean, Jesus gave him pretty much what he expected to give him, the Ten Commandments. But the rich young ruler's question was really about what else? I mean, what more was expected, Jesus? Because at this point, if that question were asked of other religious leaders, they would have had a long list. I mean, each group at that time actually had its own exhaustive list of how they interpreted even the Ten Commandments, more specific commands, like, you know, the 20 things you need to avoid in order to not commit adultery. I mean, the the Pharisees had their list. The Essenes had their list. The Sadducees had their list. And so this man wants to know, Jesus, what is your additional list? But this is what I love. See, where every other group would get more complex, Jesus gets simple. Not easy, but simple, and zero, and Jesus zeros in on just one command, just one thing that this man lacked. But before Jesus responds, Mark, the writer adds this note. He writes, "Jesus looked at him and he loved him." Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and he loved him, and I love that sentence because I think it tells us something about Jesus' heart. Even when he's challenging us with tough truths. And then Jesus says this. He says, uh, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Whoa. (laughs) Sell everything you have and give it to the poor? And about now, maybe some of you are thinking, okay, I, I knew this was coming. Can you imagine how stunned this rich, young ruler must have been with Jesus' response? I mean, imagine what it was like to be there and hear that come from Jesus. But you know, Jesus doesn't give this command to everyone. As a matter of fact, there isn't a general command in any of Jesus' teaching that says owning stuff is wrong. But he gives this command to this rich, young ruler. You know why? Why? Because he recognizes that money, that stuff, is the one thing in this man's life that stands in the way of God being number one. Money was his idol, money was his alternative God, the thing that stood between him and full devotion to Jesus. And the truth is, we've all got something like that in our lives, don't we? We've all got something. Something that battles against God for our devotion. You know, something that keeps us from fully making God number one. I've got it, and you've got it, and for many of us, like the rich young ruler, it's money, it's stuff, it's the pursuit of more things. Because I can be somebody who gives generously and still have money as a top vote-getter in my life. And as a religious man, I mean, this young ruler, you know, at that time, you know, giving to the temple was expected of most Jewish people. So there's no doubt that he was giving money to the temple at that time. And see, we can be good at giving money here and there and still have the pursuit of wealth be our God. And this was apparently the case for this young man because we come to verse 22 and, and we see truly one of the most heartbreaking scenes, I think, maybe in all of Scripture. And it says, At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. And when I read that verse, man, I, just want, I kind of want to scream at this guy, you know, don't blow this chance. Don't blow it. You don't understand who's standing in front of you. The opportunity he's given you, Jesus is offering you the opportunity to be one of his closest companions, to be on mission with him, to help turn the world upside down. But then I think, you know, how many times... Does my face fall and I go away sad when I'm challenged by what it means to make God number one in my life? You see, I think there's a question we need to consider as we wrestle with this story about Jesus and the rich young ruler. And and it's not an easy question, it's a really hard question, but as sincere followers of Jesus, it's a question I think each of us need to ask ourselves and it's this. If I have a similar response as the rich young ruler when presented with the opportunity to wholeheartedly follow Jesus and to fully engage in his mission, if my face falls and I walk away sad or angry or dismissive, could it be that God is not really number one in my life? Told you it's not an easy question. (laughs) But Jesus looks at us with love and simply asks, Am I number one? <laughs> you know, I remember when uh, Lisa, my wife, and I had just been dating like for th- like two or three months, and uh, we were driving somewhere, I don't even remember where we were going, I was listening to the Cubs game, when all of a sudden she asks, where do we stand? Things were going so well up to that point. <laughs> Why ruin it with, where do we stand? <laughs> I, I, I literally almost drove the car into the ditch, it took me by such surprise. <laughs> Actually, I was just flattered that she was even interested in where we stood. But you see, what Jesus is really asking is this. All right, will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to make me number one? In Matthew 6, Jesus warns his followers, and he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think he said this because he knows that most of us, if not all of us, you know, for all of us, money battles for the number one spot in our lives. You see, we are in such a tug of war for our souls and our hearts, and we have a choice to make. Each one of us has to decide who or what is going to get first place in our lives. And I really believe that the crux of this battle comes down to trust. I mean, when it comes to Jesus' call to make God number one, the core issue is trust. Will you, will I, will we trust God enough to give him access to every part of our life? You know, you might think of it as giving God, you know, fingerprint access to your smartphone. I mean, think about it. Giving someone fingerprint access to your smartphone, I mean, that, that's pretty significant. That's, that's a significant symbol of trust. Wouldn't you say in our digital age? I mean, it would be. But if you give someone you know, that kind of access to your smartphone, I mean, you're giving them access to your correspondence, your calendar, your finances, your identity. I mean, it's kind of scary, right? I mean, it could be. But it's not if you fully trust that person. Now, when it comes to my kids, I make them give me that kind of access. They have no choice. I pay for their phone. <laughs> insert evil laugh. <laughs> but see, Jesus won't force himself on us like we for, like I force myself on my kids. And he gives us the choice to trust him, to give him that kind of access. And so the question is this, will we trust God enough to give him full access to every part of our life? Will we trust him enough to stop making excuses, to let go and to follow him wholeheartedly? Will we trust him even if it's scary? So I think that's what, Kurt and Bernice did. And uh, here's their story.
2: My name is Bernice Galbro. This is my husband, Kurt, and we've been attending Community Christian for 17 years. Uh, we have three kids, Caleb, Josiah, and Emery.
1: I remember at Leadership Unity, where Dave Ferguson brought out this map and said, here's the dream of community. And it was 10 campuses. And I think at that time we were going to Montgomery. And we had just started... Montgomery campus and we saw Yorkville there.
2: We knew that it was something that we wanted to be a part of helping to launch this campus in Yorkville and um, so we moved to to Yorkville and have been there for the last 10 years. Being a person who didn't grow up in the church when we first started coming to community, just the idea of giving back to God, um, giving Him you know the money that I had earned at my job um, was kind of a foreign concept. For me it was um, a big struggle to let go of that part of my life. Um, It was something that I held on to pretty tightly. Keeping that close to me was a way for me to ensure that we're gonna be able to pay the bills every month, that we're gonna have enough, that we're gonna be able to go on vacations and afford the nice things that we want. It just wasn't natural for me to uh, say, Yes, God, this is yours because it's yours anyway.
1: I mean, there's still times you look at it and you go, like, boy, I could really do something else with that money. It'd look great in the retirement fund or in the the college fund. And but it's a way of just we've kind of realized that it's our way of telling God we trust you. Um, and there have been times when we thought we weren't going to make it at the end of the month, and something's come up, and boom, like we're set, we're set, we're solid. And so we've seen God use it as a way to demonstrate, I'll take care of you. You know, this is an important part of who you are.
2: You know, we've been involved in so many aspects of community Mm -hmm. and been shaped by it. Our family has been shaped by it. And we just know that things like that don't just happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you need people who are willing to give generously to that mission, who believe in that mission.
1: Look at things, I guess, in the light of eternity and say, you know, does it matter if I have the newest car or, or nicer clothes or that we go out to eat? Does that matter as much as donating that dinner check to Compassion so that Peraldo can have food every day and education every day. And we've seen, the coolest thing about it is we've seen that translate to our kids. That's been the most, I think, gratifying way that God has used our generosity, used our faithfulness to Him, um, and seeing the kids go, Oh, I want to help out. I want to be generous. I want God to be number one financially in my life as well. It's been really cool.
2: I think about my son Caleb, who I was able to um, travel to Haiti with in November. His heart was changed and he came back and talked about wanting to go back. And he's gonna to go to Blast, he's gonna to go to Stuco and talk about those experiences and move other kids to possibly do the same thing. And God has planted that seed in his heart. And just knowing that he has the, the potential to impact other kids because of that opportunity shows that we are part of one big family, that we are all image bearers of God. And whether that means that's me or that's a first-grader or a 13-year-old, God calls us to care for people. And so it's not just about us. It's not just about Yorkville. We're all part of God's family, and we have the potential to impact everybody by the way that we serve and the way that we give.
1: Mm -hmm. God God is number number one, one, and we we are one on on this mission.
0: mission. Yeah. Boy, I hope you understand. I mean, I am, I am far from immune to the stuff we're talking about this morning, because when it comes to making God number one, I mean, I, I struggle with this, uh, I think, as much as the next person. But, you know, I also recognize there's an opportunity before me, an opportunity to, to really be a part of something extraordinary, and this one initiative is, is about the opportunity to know that I'm putting God and His mission first in my life, to know that God is number one, and, and I don't want to mess out. And like, you know, Bernice and Kurt, I mean, they put it so well. You know, when this one is over, I want to have a story to tell. And I want to know that I've given my best shot to live out what it means to make God number one. And so three weeks from today on February 28th, uh, Dave mentioned this last week, we have a very tangible way to put God number one, to join him in his mission, to help more people find their way back to him. And we all have a a chance to express our intention by uh, using this card. It it comes with a booklet. You can pick one up on your way out if you don't already have one and make a two-year commitment to this one initiative. And my prayer and challenge really is for each and every one of us to take the next three weeks and to sincerely pray to God. Just ask God, say, God, you know, what does it mean for you to be first in this initiative. What, is it, what does it look like for you to be number one? Uh, there, there's been three words that have sort of come to mind as I've been thinking about this journey of one. And, and if you have something to write on, p- please take out a pen and a piece of paper and, and, and just write these down real quick. Three words that have sort of helped me that I, I hope will also help you as you begin to kind of process through this along with me. And the first word is, uh, is sacrifice. Sacrifice. You know, anytime I've wanted to do anything significant, I think it's always required some sort of sacrifice. You know, several, several years ago, that would be a, an understatement, many years ago, I ran a, a marathon. And uh, I mean, you know, it meant I was going to have to sacrifice lots of time and energy in order to, to train for that marathon. I, there were things that I had to give up so that I could do that. But I, I, that was a goal I set. I wanted, I wanted to run that marathon. You know, when we decided that we wanted our, our kids to, to go to college. You know, we knew that it was going to demand that we make some, some sacrifices in order for them to go. And, and you know what? Whenever we've been a part of something that community was doing in a significant way, it also meant some sort of sacrifice. And so, you know, I know that this time, as, as my wife Lisa and I, we kind of journey through this, I know it's going to require some sort of sacrifice. And, and so the first word that I've been thinking about is the word sacrifice. The second word that has been in my head as I think about this is the word Stretch. Stretch. I think to sacrifice is one thing, but I think to stretch is sort of another. And, you know, I like to be stretched. I like to do things that kind of take me out of my comfort zone and cause me to trust God in ways that I never had before. You know, when my wife and our family, we moved to the city to help start new locations of community in Chicago, uh, we started a generosity initiative in the city called All In. Also, when we moved, our housing expenses nearly doubled. We had to start paying tuition for our kids to go to school and so I can tell you, making a commitment to all in, I mean, that was a stretch. And it, it demanded that we trust God in ways I don't think we ever have before. And I can tell you, we gave more over that season than we'd ever given before. But I was completely blown away by how God came through miraculously over and over again during that season. And now we've got a great story to tell. And I, I tell it as much as I can. And it's not about making me look good. It's really just saying, no, God came through. I mean, he was He was trustworthy. And so the first word is uh, sacrifice, the second word is stretch, and then the the third word is spirit-led, spirit-led. And I want you to remember, the most important goal for one is for every one of us to make God number one, like that passage in Acts chapter 4 states, all, all of us. And so when I make a commitment like this, I kind of get pretty calculated. I mean, so calculated, I actually pull out a calculator and use it, (laughs) all right? I begin to figure out how we're going to, you know, fulfill this commitment, um, usually and I usually, Lisa and I, we, we even kind of break it down into, into monthly gifts. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as I don't leave out the spirit-led part, the trusting part, you know, that gives God a chance to speak to me and uh, prompt me to give in a way that reflects my commitment to him being number one. And again, our primary goal is for every single person at community to be a part of one. And so let me just encourage you, don't miss out. All right? Don't miss out. Don't, don't miss this opportunity to be a part of something that I believe, when we look back, we're going to say was truly extraordinary. You see, this one initiative really is about what God wants to do through us, but it starts with what God wants to do in us. It starts with each one of us, I think, taking a stand and deciding that God is going to be number one in my life. And I really believe with all my heart that when God is number one, when Jesus gets first place, we will stand together and we will accomplish the one mission, His mission. We will reach more and more people. We will restore God's dream for this world in ways we never had before and we will reproduce this mission over and over again. All right? All right, let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you uh, this morning and God, we're challenged by this encounter between you and this rich young ruler. And God, I, you know, I don't know how it hits everybody else, but for me, I I don't wanna I don't want my face to fall and I don't want to walk away sad because I wasn't willing to say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna trust you to. I'm gonna give you first place in my life. And so God, whatever that looks like, Lord, for us as we, as we walk through this one initiative, we're, we're hoping that every single one of us is, is a part of it, God, that we will truly collectively together as a community of people make you number one. And so whatever that looks like, Lord, from a sacrificial standpoint as we stretch and Lord, most of all, as we are led by your spirit, God, help us to be about that on mission together as we offer, God, our heart completely to you. We pray this in your name.